At special times, believers in the Old and New Testaments believe that they ought to make covenants together vowing that they would obey King Jesus. Following in their footsteps, in 1638, Scottish Christians signed the National Covenant which rejected the enforcement of prelacy on the Presbyterian Church. When threatened to have these rights taken away, the Scottish Covenanters in 1639 united under the Blue Banner which read, For Christ's Crown and Covenant. As direct theological descendants of the Scottish Covenanters, the RPCNA still honors the Blue Banner for what it stands for, that Jesus is the only head and king of his church. The Blue Banter podcast's goal is to go about informing the reforming by introducing you to our pastors and under-shepherds of Christ's church. By listening to this podcast, you will have greater clarity on the blessings and challenges faced by each of our congregations. We pray that the Lord blesses you through this podcast for Christ's crown and his covenant. I want to welcome everybody again to another episode of the Blue Banter podcast, podcast where we're seeking to introduce the members of the RPCNA to the pastors of the RPCNA and to serve young and aspiring pastors, not only in our denomination, but whoever may be listening by gleaning wisdom from pastors with ministry experience. I am one of your co-hosts, Joe Smith, pastor of Westminster Reformed Presbyterian Church in Westminster, Colorado. My name is Aaron Murray, pastor of Marion Reformed Presbyterian Church in Marion, Indiana. And anybody who says that Marion, Indiana is not a beautiful city, I want you to tell that to Julia Roberts, who had her wedding here back in the early 90s. So if it's good enough for Julia Roberts, it's good enough for you. Well, we have uh, not one guest today, but two, one guest by invitation, the other guest by circumstance. So I'll introduce, I'll introduce our guest by circumstance. We actually made fun of him a little bit uh, a few podcasts ago. I don't know if he's listened to it yet, but Joshua Miles Smith, who is the pastor of Westminster, Chicago, he's here in Indiana because we had a presbytery meeting where we were examining a student uh, for licensure. So he's here with us today. So Joshua, welcome to the podcast as a uh, secondary guest. How dare you use my government name? <laughs> I knew that was going to get you. I knew that was going to get you. Thank our, you, for, thank yeah, you for having me. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy to. Uh, our actual guest is Ramesh uh, from Presbyterian Church in Dallas, Texas. So, Ram, thank you for joining us on our podcast today. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. So I have to get this out in the open because Joseph has been making fun of me about it uh, for quite a while, ever since we started emailing you, you're laughing because I misspelled your name and uh, Joseph has been calling me a fool ever since. So I just want to get everything out in the air and apologize, ask for forgiveness, seek reconciliation, and just make sure that we're doing okay as brothers. <laughs> you will hardly be the first person to make that mistake, <laughs> okay. brother. There's, at some days, I really don't even know how to spell my own name anymore. So don't worry about it. Well, I'm glad we've gotten that taken care of. I can I could sleep well tonight. <laughs> well, so jumping into uh, our first question, you were very recently uh, the president of the Home Mission Board. Um, so could you describe you know what the board is, what it does, why it exists, and then we'll probably have some more follow up questions as you uh, answer those. Sure. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'll read what the mission statement of the board is. I think that's very helpful, very clarifying, and it's a succinct uh, explanation. And the mission statement is to facilitate intentional and strategic church planting and multiplication in each presbytery by providing counsel, encouragement, resources, and training. 
And so that's what the board exists for. Um, after all, you know, in the RPCNA, we are Presbyterian. And uh, the presbyteries are the radical or root court of the church. And so it is up to presbyteries to do the actual work of church planting. And so the board is not sort of a, a command and control kind of organization at all. Instead, it's there to act as a servant from synod um, to serve uh, the needs of presbyteries as they look to uh, plant churches. And so, you know, you see some of the elements there that uh, the board provides, which is counsel and encouragement. Um, but primarily, I think what the board has mostly done in recent years anyway, is to provide resources. There are a series of grants, financial grants that are available to presbyteries as they seek to uh, extend Christ's kingdom. Uh, there's also training available. Any minister, you know, any one of uh, you three men, if you need resources in evangelism, for instance, uh, you would like to take a course, uh, you can apply to the Home Missions Board um, if there's an evangelism course that you feel like would profit your ministry. Um, same thing with church planting. If you feel like uh, if the presbytery or uh, or um, feels like it would profit you men to go and do a course, uh, RPTS has some classes, uh, at least one class on church planting, um, which is usually um, not required, right, in, in our course. We all went to the same seminary. It's not a required class, um, but you can take it and they will help uh, pay for it uh, if your application is approved. So these are the kinds of things that uh, the board is really responsible for. Um, each uh, presbytery in North America um, has a representative. Uh, Joshua is one of them. Uh, he's from uh, the Great Lakes Gulf uh, Presbytery, uh, and they represent the concerns and needs of the presbytery to the board. So that's a quick overview, hopefully helpful. Yeah, very, very helpful. Um, there's a number of different directions like we could go with this uh, discussion. Um, but Dallas RP is uh, a recent church plant, right? 2012, 2013, yeah. Okay, okay. So as you've been kind of on the uh, home missions board and, um, you know, boots on the ground, quite literally with the, with the church plant, um, in your experience, what are some blessings and challenges that church planters face? Yeah, um, Blessings for sure to see the kingdom of God expand and extend, which is really what a church plant ought to be, right? Is to, to see uh, Christ building his church and the gates of hell not prevailing against it as he has promised. Uh, to see um, new people come into the faith, um, uh, especially this is an area where I think as reformed people that we can maybe be deficient in in our, um, in our thinking when it comes to church planting, which is really more like, well, there isn't a, a really good church in the area, and so we're going to maybe shuffle some of the sheep from these other denominations where people don't don't have their dog. And there's we certainly are to make disciples and disciples of all the counsel of God, but we can miss sometimes the need to actually expand. The kingdom doesn't grow if we're not seeing con conversions, right? I mean, that's what we ought to be doing. The kingdom is sort of moved around, and maybe it's edified a bit more, but it doesn't actually grow. Um, and so uh, seeing some of that uh, in a church plant, uh, as it should be in every church, right, um, but especially in a church plant where you're going into sort of virgin ground, um, I think that's very helpful to see really people translated from darkness to light. Uh, to see, um, I think in a church plant, there's a much more, uh, there's a greater sense of dependence the body has on each other. Um, there's a little less at first, uh, at least in those motivated to be part of a church plant, sort of a dependence. Well, the elders will all take care of it and the deacons will take care of it, right? It's like, well, 
I was very blessed that my children were setting up uh, chairs and Mm -hmm. moving tables. And we were looking uh, as as families of where should we meet and suggest things to our elders who are not always there locally. Um, So there's a a lot more investment, I think, in the, the being part of the core families in the work of the church, which has been greatly beneficial to soul. You know, the Lord says it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so being part of a church plant, while it's harder, um, also there are great blessings in that. Yeah. Um, no, you go on, Aaron. No, no, no. After you, sir. No, I was just, I was just going to say, I remember because Aaron and I, Josh, I don't remember if you ever took it. Aaron and I took the, uh, church planting course at RPTS. And I think you even may have zoomed in for one of the hours or some of the lectures on that back in, I don't know, that would have been, I guess, uh, 2020, but in one of the books we read is it's just always something that stuck out to me. And it stated that, you know, in a sense, nothing is more offensive to the kingdom of darkness Mm -hmm. than planting a church, Mm -hmm. planting a flag of Christ, uh, right on, their turf. And so that was always something that stuck out in my head. And am I right that, that Dallas is in the midst of a of doing just that now in another area there in Texas or. Yeah, that's uh that's actually very good. Um, you know, I want to deal with the first part, which is the blessing, but the challenges are really, you're stirring the hornet's nest, spiritually speaking, right. Um, you're essentially coming into a place where, you know, Satan might have his grasp on uh, on the souls in there, and he certainly hates the idea that anybody's going to proclaim the salvation of the Lord uh, to turn men from the kingdom of darkness to God's marvelous light, Christ's marvelous light. Um, and so, yeah, we are um, in sort of what's termed in the metro area, the mid-cities area, which is in between Fort Worth and Dallas, um, and, and Joshua will be actually out here in August. Uh, to preach for for that uh, that group, we we are in the early stages of exploring a church plant there. Um, there's almost eight million souls in the whole metro area here mm-hmm. in Dallas and Fort Worth, and uh, there really ought to be far more gospel preaching churches than than there are right now. Um, and so, yes, we are involved in that very early stages, but uh, we're exploring the Lord's will. Cool. All right, Aaron, Aaron what what would you have? Sorry, I cut you off there. Yeah, no, you're good. Um, well, when, when we think about church planting, particularly with established congregations, um, how how can you know we as pastors and, and how does even the board uh, there that you previously served on um, encourage congregations to be more involved in the effort of church planting? Yeah, um, to me, I, I think the, the heart of it uh, you ought to get to first, which is uh, I think a church that has a heart for evangelism is going to then have a heart for church planting. Um, but if essentially our core concern is we want to just see more RPCNA churches, uh, we're not actually going to probably church plant. Um, if it's just a, a good idea to, hey, let's just uh, make sure our denomination hits 200 churches. Um, uh, we ha- we've had that, and I don't want to speak against that, but the, co- the, the core concern ought to be souls are perishing, right? Um, that we need also more places to worship the Lord. Uh, what we don't want to see is essentially, well, you know, it'd be nice, you know, this group of families over there would really be more comfortable if they had a church to to uh, worship in, in this location, which, you know, I don't want to discount some of that, but there there is a, a greater need to see that region come to Christ, right? You know, when, when we say for Christ's crown and covenant, we, we want to see uh, the people's heart turn to the Lord. And we want to see the kingdom of God expand. 
And I think any congregation that has that in their heart, and if, if that's being proclaimed from the pulpit and there's local evangelism being done, you're going to find that they're going to have a heart to look at the map and say, wow, so few souls actually have a gospel witness. Forget whether it's Baptist or Presbyterian or whatever. Um, like very few people in, in among these millions actually know the gospel. Now, for, for congregations who are wanting to, to get into evangelism, um, mm-hmm. does the board provide resources um, like, like tracts? Because um, finding a tract is, is not really an easy task because not all of them are created equal. Some of them, there's some good stuff in there and then others, uh, there's really bad um, tracts out there. Um, or do you guys have like websites that you would point people to to look up these uh, good gospel evangelism tracts? Yeah, uh, that's a really good question. And um, on my time on the board, we never really had requests for tracks come in like that. And uh, so I don't think that we had anything official. Uh, I think in general, that would be a good idea for the denomination. Um, and so maybe Joshua, you can take that to the board at the next <laughs> meeting. Um, but uh, uh, as far as our congregation is concerned, we use uh, Trinitarian Bible Society has tracks that are just scripture. Mm-hmm. which is also helpful, right? There are scripture verses that uh, it's the word of God, right? And it's just the word there to uh, to exhort sinners to close with Christ. Uh, we also use chapel library. And so you can get free tracks every month from them. And it's usually men that we very much respect, whether it's Ryle or Spurgeon uh, or one of these great princes of Israel of old. And they just basically, uh, or Beaky, uh, they just take some quotations and put them in tract form with the scripture. So those have been the most reliable ones that we've used. Like you say, there's a there's a there's a, a minefield out there with tracks, uh, but those are the ones that I could personally vouch for. Just a plug for the, and then I'll let Josh. Josh wants to say something. A plug. Um, I think it was from when Colin Doyle came back from doing an internship with you. He brought track with him, and I noticed that they had Dallas RP's stamp on the back and and that's just another thing that makes those tbs tracks so nice and that's what we've started using here in westminster because you know versus having to pay for a custom thing that has your church information on it you can just with a cheap stamp you know just stamp hundreds of them and i had my kids i was giving them like a nickel per track you know just giving them a chore to do and and they they were stamping hundreds of tracks for us when we went out this last time and so that's what makes those nice as well not only are they mm-hmm. just scripture but you can you can easily cheaply put your church's information on them as well. Josh, were you going to chime something in there? Yeah, we we do the same thing. <clears throat> we do the same thing at Westminster Chicago. We use the TBS tracks, and we have a stamp as well that we stamp those with our church information. We use Chapel Library, but then uh, our brothers over at the Free Church Continuing uh, with. With Grange Press, they have free printable tracks on their website that if if you have access to a printer and can print, you know, numerous amounts of tracks and, and you don't mind folding them yourself, uh, those are those are a free option as well. So there's there's plenty of solid free options uh available for for tracks with Grange Press and with Chapel Library. And then the the Trinitarian Bible Society tracks are incredibly cheap as well. I mean, pennies for per track. Um, and so financially, that should never be an obstacle to a church doing evangelism. 
Aaron, you got anything else on church planting? Uh, I've got more questions on evangelism, but I think that'll come up later. Yeah, sure, sure. Cool. Ron, well, we're going to shift gears now. This is We ask this next question of every single person we, we have on. This is kind of our flagship question. Preaching is uh, the primary means of grace. And so I just remember even as being a member, I found preaching, maybe it's because I had an internal desire to do such, but nevertheless, I mean, I just find that members find preaching fascinating. Um, I've got men in my congregation that like listening to sermons from you, and they want to know what 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 you say about this question as well. And, and these have been the questions that are usually just most helpful for me too, just chewing on and fun to talk about. But essentially, uh, we always ask men, what what is your philosophy of preaching in another way to phrase that same question is kind of how do you preach and why do you preach the way that you do? Well, as you men know, this is a a vast topic. Uh, You know, books, much ink has been written uh, on this. Uh, I think that the best intro summation that I've glommed onto comes from the original Westminster director of public worship, which is, preaching of the word being the power of God unto salvation and one of the greatest and most excellent works belonging to the ministry of the gospel should be so performed that the workman need not be ashamed, but may save himself and those that hear him. Uh, I think that simultaneously puts, elevates, as you had said, the sort of the primacy of preaching, but also the gravity of what it is that we do when we preach, right? Um, you know, we are to do the work of the ministry, especially preaching, so that uh, we are not ashamed and may save those that hear us. Um, you know, there's a lot there. And of course, the director goes on to expound all of that. But that is primarily my philosophy. It is the greatest work of the ministry. Um, by it, men are converted uh, from their sin. They turn to the Lord Jesus. They are built up in their faith after their conversion, right? They're sanctified. They embrace the promises of God through it. They find the comfort of the Holy Ghost come to them. Um, through it, the church is reformed and it's revived, right? Uh, you know, in so many ways, the preaching of the uh, the word of God is the thing that defines biblical churches. Um, everything else, the sacraments are subservient to it. Uh, they, uh, they, it does uh, essentially form the focal point of the ministry. And, and so obviously that, that puts a lot of um, weight on it for me, preparation-wise. Not just, you know, it's a spiritual activity, right? It's a demonstration of the spirit and of power. And so there's a lot of, if I, dependence on the Lord, right, that goes into the preaching of the word. Not just at the time that you're you're preaching the sermon, but even preparation for it. Uh, there's a, uh, a burden that comes. And if the minister doesn't have a burden, right, he just thinks, I'm going to get up there, I'm going to explain the Bible, right? Then, and that's a trap we can fall into, right? I've got some cool things to show you out of the, out of the Bible. And, you know, even sound Orthodox men uh, fall into that. But if there's no burden there uh, that comes on the man uh, in his soul, uh, the gravity of what he is doing, you know, recently, I was just preaching to my congregation on this, but you've heard this as well, right? From other students, when preaching before presbytery, often you might say, oh, that's an intimidating thing, right? Uh, but really, that betrays, I think, a little bit of what we think the ministry to be, because we ought to be intimidated that God's our witness, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't matter if it's just my family that's sitting in front of me and I'm preaching, or it's you men, it's the whole of Synod, right? It, it doesn't matter. The same uh, God is the audience there. 
And so uh, I think that when it comes to the ministry, having that burden uh, that I am representing the Lord, I am speaking on behalf of God, and, and that by faith, I believe that God's people will be converted and, and they will be built up. They will turn away from their sin, uh, and which is a primary part, right, of, of the preaching of the word, which is to, to rebuke and reprove and exhort them, right? Uh, it's not merely to impart knowledge to them, but it is actually to have them be more Christ-like for those who are converted. Uh, they are to flee from their sin, and they're also to embrace the Savior. Uh, often, you know, you think of the three legs of the stool in preaching, which is, one, to cause them to hate their sin more. Second is to have them love Christ more. And third, often was spoken of, is to anticipate and long for glory knowing that this world is not their home, right? All of that is kind of wrapped up in, and again, we can talk for much more and I'll let you ask other questions, but those are some of the things that go on in my mind as I'm thinking of preaching the word. Yeah, no, that that was that was good. So what does, you know, you spoke some about your sermon preparation. Mm. What does that process look like for you from, you know, the start of the week uh, unto the time you're stepping into the pulpit? What does your sermon preparation look like? What uh, what questions are you asking from the passage? What tools are you using, if any? Uh, what what does all that look like for you? Yeah, so you know, beginning uh, early in the week, uh, typically uh, this is a Monday. Um, I will actually review the texts that uh, are before me. Sometimes I have to select them. Um, I don't always strictly just preach through books of the Bible, um, you know, sequentially. Uh, because I think part of being a pastor and not just being a visiting preacher is that you need to know the, uh, the, the needs of the congregation. And so, for instance, sometimes preparation begins in just asking the Lord what my people need. Uh, as I pray for them, I'm thinking about them and what they might need to hear. So here's an example of that. Um, and so this is why this might not technically be the kind of preparation that we talk about doing exegesis and so on. But, um, for instance, I was doing a lot of marriage counseling in the congregation, a lot of difficulties in marriages. And so uh, I thought, uh, as I was uh, before the Lord, uh, perhaps what I need to do is I need to preach on the Christian family. And, and that's what I ended up doing. And I'm still in the midst of a series there. Um, so even in the selection of the texts, there's a deep dependence on the Lord that ought to be there. And, and again, getting a sense of the burden for the congregation. But as uh, and so assuming I have the texts and I uh, then I'll meditate on them, I'll read them uh, through a few times and really get my soul stirred up uh, over them. Um, next part of the process is actually to do um, sort of the exegesis now that I've had my texts. I want to understand the text, obviously. Um, I, uh, I, I, I preach from the King James, the authorized version. Uh, so I have a high view of, of that translation. Um, if it's a narrative uh, text, you know, I'll spot check, you know, the Hebrew or the Greek. Uh, if it's more of a didactic text, like an epistle, then I'll, I'll do much more thorough language work um, because that matters a lot more in those kinds of texts. But I, I do have a, a, you know, for 500 plus years, right, we have uh, so this translation that men have poked holes at, you know, whenever they could and, and such. So uh, our English translations, especially uh, for me, the authorized version, uh, I have a high confidence in. And frankly, I don't have time to make a fresh translation of every text uh, that I come to. And so, uh, but there are certainly areas in the text where there might need to be clarification. There might be ambiguity. The grammar might be uh, something that I need to wrestle through. And I'll certainly do that um, 
with the language tools that I have, especially things like Bible works um, and so on. So that's how I, I come to the exegesis. And then from there, having understood the text, I really, before I go and, and write anything, I want to find the burden of the text for my congregation. Um, I'm not a sermon audio kind of preacher. Uh, I know that a lot of my sermons are shared. You had mentioned that some of your congregation, but I've even talked to my elders about that. Sometimes it can be a hindrance um, because these sermons are meant for my congregation. And sometimes when you know that other people are listening, there's a temptation to sort of blunt the message or change the message perhaps, but I am the pastor of the Dallas RP congregation and that's who my sermons need to be aimed at. And so that's really until I've wrestled with the Lord, you know, uh, and I've asked the question, what is the message that the Lord I feel is laying on my heart for for my people, which usually also comes because it's not a, a random occurrence that the Lord has brought me to these people. Um, there, it's often something that I personally am challenged with. Right. Uh, and I think you men know this, uh, you know, in Hebrews five, for instance, it talks about the old high priests were chosen uh, with infirmity so that they could have compassion on those who are going astray, right? And, and so, you know, even my own sin in light of the passage is often a bridge to the people of God. And, and you know, we talk about Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he's a diagnostic preacher, right? Because he he had come from that medical profession. Well, I think we all have to be that, right? Is that we ought to recognize our sinfulness. Um, we have to be conformed to the text itself, uh, and then take that burden to the people of God. But also knowing, you know, the, the proverb says, be diligent to know the condition of thy flock. And, and so they also are sinful in maybe other ways that I'm not. And all of that needs to be brought in as part of the burden of the text, but also ultimately aiming at the glory of God, right? You know, the, the question that I think is often missed in Reformed churches, which is sort of a very basic question. It's like, I can explain this text to you, but the people of God also have to understand, so what, right? Why does it matter to me as a child of five? Why does it matter to me of a, as a widow? Why does it matter to me uh, in whatever station of life I'm in, right? Like if we're even going to have a conversation about election, for instance, we can explain election carefully as the confession says, but um, but we have to understand why does this matter, right? Why why is this given as a sense of comfort in 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 Romans eight, right? Uh, that God has loved me, or Ephesians, right? God has loved me from before the world began, and so He will never let go of me, right? So, like I said, I can keep rambling on for a long time, but I'll I'll leave it there. If there are any questions or follow ups, no, that's good. I'm I'm in the midst actually. It was up to this. And as soon as we get off here, um, writing a sermon on Malachi four, five to six and Elijah, the prophet coming. And why does he mm. come? It's to turn the hearts of the people as Luke interprets as well, not only to sons, to fathers, fathers, to sons, but people to the Lord. But, you know, and, and, and I've got a section where I'm looking at how John did that. Like what is the means by which mm. God used John to turn people? And so I'm, I'm writing the section right now on John's preaching. So it's re very relevant to us. But like in Luke chapter three, verses eight to 14, nine to 14, we see him preaching not only the doctrine of judgment and sanctification, but then the people cry out. So what, you know, now what? Yeah. And, and yeah. John doesn't just leave them hanging. He, he looks at the various people in front of him and he applies and not only applies, but tells them how to implement that exhortation in their own lives. And so it's, it's just an excellent example 
of what preaching that the Lord is pleased to use to turn people's hearts uh, should consist of amongst, amongst other things. Aaron or yeah, Josh, I, do you guys have, yeah. Well, so um, I'm going through Acts right now here in Marion. And when you kind of compare Peter's first and second sermons, you do see him kind of develop the, the so what, because he preaches at Pentecost and then he kind of ends his sermon basically with, you know, you killed the Messiah and that's it. And the people respond, you know, what must we do to be saved? You know, repent and uh, be baptized for the salvation of sin. Then you go into um, chapter four in his next sermon, and he preaches basically the same thing. But before he ends the sermon, he gives that application of, you know, repenting and turning to Christ. So it's just it's kind of fun to see that even the Apostle Peter kind of develops as a preacher um, and develops into that. So what element of, of a sermon? Yeah, and, and at the very least, you know, the one thing I think we all want to say at the end is that Christ was preached up, right? Um, in, in some ways, even when we come to talk about maybe open-air evangelism, uh, if no souls are saved, let it never be said that we didn't lift the name of Christ up before all people. Amen to that. So last kind of question, uh, Josh, yeah, what you got? I, I just had a quick question for Pastor Ram about preaching, uh, reading old uh old pastors, theologians about, about the method of preaching. One thing that they really highlight is what's known as discriminatory preaching. Um, and, and I was hoping you could, you could briefly explain what that means and, and help us young pastors, us newly ordained and in the pastorate and how, how can we better preach in a discriminatory manner? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, and it is often neglected, I think, in the Reformed pulpit today, um, which is you can't assume that every person that's hearing you is saved. Um, you cannot assume the, the state of all of their souls. Um, and so we have to be able to preach in a manner that the unconverted, right, see that their need for Christ, that they need to see that they are a sinner, right? Um, one of the the you make the turn, I think, in preaching when you go from saying, you know, well, sinners go to hell uh, and sinners are saved in Christ, all very, very good propositional truths, to going and making the turn that uh, you are a sinner. And if you haven't embraced Christ yourself, then you are going to hell. And you need to ask yourself the question, am I in a state of salvation? Do I know the Redeemer? Have I pled his blood? For my salvation, right? That's the kind of discriminatory preaching that is often missed in, in the preaching today, uh, which is sort of, you know, I, I think a lot of people assume, right, the old joke was that the Baptists convert them and then the Presbyterians, you know, sanctify them. Um, I think the, the problem with that is the assumption that a lot of Presbyterian ministers have is that uh, people who come into uh, that hear us are a little further along the sanctification chain maybe. And so we just assume that everybody's is fine. Um, but it's not true at all. Uh, you know, many people are, are converted later in life or have thought that they were uh, saved and were not. And so we really need to, um, in our preaching, really confront the individuals who are hearing us with their need for the Savior. Um, and so that they may, uh, so it, it'll be clear that we are, uh, we are free of the blood of all men, Right, that when we go and we give account of our ministry, it would never be said that anybody in our congregation didn't hear their own need personally for Christ. 
um, and they need to take Christ themselves and they need to be confronted in the preaching. So a lot of times, I don't know if the question is often posed in our pulpits, but where do you stand with the Lord? Are you on the Lord's side, right? Um, and even sometimes just that clarifying question can prick the conscience. Um, I've had several who have been, uh, who have either, I don't know what the state they were in before, but they have come to me afterwards and say, nobody's ever asked me that question of where I've stood with the Lord. Um, and it's really confronted their their the uh, their own conscience as to do I truly believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ? And it's a wonderful thing to be able to say yes, right? <laughs> and that's the other part is uh, Hallelujah, praise the Lord if you do, because you are headed to uh, heavenly Canaan's shores. Yeah, I'm in the midst of uh, reading right now. One of the books I'm reading is The Imperative of Preaching by John mm -hmm. Carrick. And, yeah. you know, I just love the way he unfolds that sacred rhetoric of indicative, exclamative, interrogative, and imperative. And within the interrogative, you know, he shows how the scriptures ask analytical questions. So as you're unpacking a doctrine, they also ask uh, rhetorical questions. But then they ask searching questions. And, and that seems to be one of the main methods that I've been employing um, even before I started reading that book from, from other things, but especially just with that on my mind. Um, and often that can be a good way to close a sermon, right? Is to, to ask a series of, of searching questions to challenge people with all of the things that they just heard and to try and press, uh, press the conscience with those questions. Amen. So one, the last kind of question we ask relevant to preaching that, that I think other you know people are curious about, um, do, you, do you preach from a manuscript? Do you preach from an outline? Are you a no-notes guy? Uh, what do you usually do? And then perhaps you know, maybe just a little bit on why, why you do what you do with that. Yeah, I think for the pulpit ministry in the church, um, I definitely use uh, notes. Um, it's more, it's not really a, a manuscript traditionally defined. It's a series of bullet points in an outline form. Um, and what I try to do is I, I certainly don't want to be reading. Um, you know, I think there's some men who can do that really quite well. I can't. Um, and so I think a lot of this is, you, you probably know for yourself personally, both of you, or all three of you men, as well as uh, different guests you've had, that every man has different uh, uh, capacities and and gifts when it comes to this. For me, um, uh, I've I've got propositions essentially and uh, and statements and maybe rhetorical uh, phrases that I want to put down um, that I have before me, um, and uh, I will go through them uh, in in the preaching of the word. I'm not bound to them necessarily, but it keeps. I, I like to develop sort of another area of preaching, which is, I think you alluded to a little bit, uh, brother, is that uh, there's, for me, a sustained argument that has to come to a conclusion. Uh, so it's almost like the the lawyer who's putting the people of God on trial, in a sense, uh, or bringing them to a necessary conclusion. And for me to preach that way, it's uh, a lot easier to keep track of where I am in the sustained argument, essentially, if I have my notes um, when it comes to any text in the scripture. Um, I'm different when I do open air preaching because those are simple sort of um, gospel pointed messages that we should all be able to just open our Bibles and just sort of proclaim uh, what God's will is for these things. But uh, for me, especially in sort of my argumentative kind of preaching, uh, I need to have that kind of outline. That, that segues in very well to our, our next question, which does have to do with kind of evangelism and in particular open air preaching. 
Um, so what, what would be, um, if any, some of the differences between preaching on the Lord's Day to your congregation versus going out and doing open-air preaching? Yeah, that's a, that's a good and a clarifying question, I think, for those who do open-air preaching. Um, you know, in, in, in the pulpit ministry, right, we are concerned with all the counsel of God. Uh, with the whole counsel of God. So uh, like I'd mentioned, I have a series on the Christian family, right? Not necessarily the best topic in open air preaching, right? Um, you know, I'm sure the Lord could use something like that. Uh, but the the messages that are in the open air environment are really pointed gospel messages. Look unto the Lord and be saved all ye ends of the earth, right? Those kinds of things that come out of the scripture that are very pointed. Uh, they're pointed against sin, uh, even the sin of a particular area. So one of the areas I do uh, open air preaching, uh, we it's a very rich and ritzy environment. And we have to sometimes, I have to very clearly proclaim that um, uh, that uh, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul, right? Here you are going buying and selling and you have no care or concern for your soul, right? So there are some very pointed messages like that uh, that ultimately always lead to the cross, and the forgiveness of sins, but uh, often have to provoke the the conscience there, um, in a way that would lead them to the need for a savior. Um, and so they're simpler in that sense, not less profound in any in any way. But these are the things that ought to be wrote to us in terms of our understanding of the scripture, uh, our ability to open up, say Romans three twenty three or or anything like that, and just preach our heart. Uh, by Christ's power, um, you know, the need for men to to close with Christ and to be reconciled to him. Mm-hmm. Whereas the pulpit ministry, right, you're preaching 45 minutes in my case, maybe sometimes uh, more than that. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, you are, you are expounding, you're expositing the scripture, you're teaching, there's an element of uh, teaching uh, there, uh, the, all the counsel of God. Uh, there's certainly, as we mentioned, the need to discriminate and to always have the gospel before the people of God. But it's a, it's a, if you want to use the word fuller kind of ministry. Yeah, and so I know that uh, some churches' practices when it comes to evangelism and open air preaching, they'll have you know uh, one individual doing the open air preaching, while others will kind of go about trying to hand out tracts or maybe engage people in conversations about the, the preaching. Um, so how how do you guys as a congregation go about congregational evangelism, and and how? Uh, might you encourage um, our other congregations to get involved um, in evangelism? And then what's kind of the pastor role in all of that? Yeah, uh, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll work through it backwards. Yeah, I threw you a lot, uh, sorry. No, no, that's okay. Uh, I think they're all very tightly connected, uh, as your questions allude to. Um, you know, I think all the ministers really first need to know that even if nobody else is there with them, right? Uh, Paul's words to Timothy is, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry, um, is that we have to be the ones leading uh, if if nobody else is doing, right? Uh, and so uh, I think the ministers really need to recognize that maybe in another era when everybody, there's an advantage to people coming to your church in society, uh, those days are gone. And you're not going to find, especially in areas like ours, the Muslim or the Hindu uh, or whatever, the atheist coming into our church, right? And if we do believe what we had all talked about preaching, right, it's the power of God unto salvation in the preaching of the gospel, then we would be very interested in taking that primary means of grace out 
of our four walls um, because uh, people who really need to hear the gospel aren't anymore really kind of coming in unless a friend brings them in and they're comfortable with that, which we can talk about another time. But uh, so the pastor, I think, has to take lead in direct evangelism, whether you're doing open air preaching or you're going door to door or whatever else, you know, you're, you have a presence at the fair, or you have a community presence. Some communities uh, still encourage pastors to be involved in, in you know, city hall or, or whatever else. Um, the pastor, I think, has to be the head of the body, um, so to speak, in terms of leading. Um, and when there is a, uh, and here's another area I found that has shifted in our congregation, when the pastor is making, uh, pleas from the, the pulpit to the people of God to close with Christ and to be reconciled themselves, they find that evangelistic hunger in themselves growing, uh, as they realize more and more that everybody that's not a believer in their circle is going to hell, um, just plain and simple. Right. And when you are stirring up the people constantly in preaching up the gospel, they are going to want to do the work of evangelism if the spirit of the Lord is in them. And so I think that all these things are connected. And then when the minister goes out and does these things, uh, that is a wonderful way, as you mentioned, to have the body involved. Uh, because we don't want to exclude people from doing these things. We want them to hunger and thirst after the salvation of souls. And so uh, in our congregation, very much it's that model of, I, you know, I'll be on my stool, I'll be preaching. Um, we'll have several go out uh, spreading gospel tracts um, and interacting with those uh, that they see. One uh, recent event that had occurred, which was really a blessing, is I was preaching and people were listening maybe a block away and they can see that. Uh, and uh, uh, one of our new converts herself, she saw uh, a woman who was just sort of in, looked like she was in great distress. And she was listening to the sermon uh, that I was preaching. And she went up to her and she got her number. She talked to her. And this person came to worship the next day um, because she was the one who was sort of the, the feet of Christ, right? And walking as, and, and observing and just being, um, uh, uh, observant of what was going on in the soul of somebody who was obviously in distress. Uh, so it's a real blessing uh, for the people of God. They also learn through these evangelistic events that evangelism is not uh, as uh, intimidating as they might have thought, right? It's wonderful to go out with your pastor and your elders, hear them, um, maybe interview, uh, talk to people, uh, uh, ask people about their standing with the Lord. And then they realize, oh, this is not people are people, right? You know, rarely are you getting uh, the kind of guy who's going to throw something in your face because you're asking them about Christ. Uh, even in our society, uh, it, it doesn't, it's not as, as bad. Now, if you go out there, basically just your whole message is homosexuals are going to hell, this and that and the other thing, right? Um, and not never preaching the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe if you're a provocateur, but if, you know, you're just in inquiring with people what they think of the Lord, right? Do they know that all men are sinners and, and so on? It's rare you're going to get such a negative uh, kickback. In fact, you're going to find a lot of people who never even thought on the question. So it's helpful for them. And that permeates them. That culture permeates into their own lives. And suddenly you find people, you know, talking to uh, people at work, they're talking to their neighbors, uh, and they're realizing that uh, uh, evangelism is not as intimidating, and also that the Lord adds his special blessing to these things, right? Them that honor him, he will honor. And uh, there is a great blessing that and those who want to uh, present Christ, uh, God's son, who gave his life 
for the sins of the world uh, to others. And so the, just having that culture, I think, uh, showing leadership as the ministers uh, will have a great effect on the people. Yeah, I don't know if originally Josh had passed along some stuff on YouTube of, of you guys in Dallas to me or what, but essentially that's, you know, that's what we've implemented here in Westminster. Once a month, we'll go up to Boulder, Colorado. To um, It's very close to Colorado University campus, and it's kind of like this outdoor mall type area. It's like a boardwalky thing with a bunch of shops. And then other, the, the next month, we'll go out into the neighborhoods right around here at the church. But some, some questions that have come from, because I had never done open air preaching before getting out here. And so just kind of some questions I had regarding open air preaching were kind of two. One, from your own experience, how do you balance law and gospel in your sermons, like, you know, ratio wise, perhaps, um, if, if you even think much about such a thing? And then also, um, what, how long do you normally preach and, and how do you save your vocal cords? Because the last time I did, I got carried away and preached maybe for like 30 minutes straight. <laughs> and I thought I had torched my vocal cords like I, I, you know, the next day preaching in the pulpit because we go out on Saturdays, you know, it was like, um, man, you know, I mean, I was able to push through, but I was like, well, I need to shorten these things up next time. Um, so what would have kind of been some of your experience or tips when it comes to those things? Yeah, uh, those are good questions. And let me just say as encouragement, um, your your stamina will actually your vocal cords will actually um, your ability to preach longer and longer will actually increase. Um, and so where I was early on and where I am today, uh, totally different in terms of mm -hmm. the ability to go on and on. Um, I think some of that, you have to be very sensitive to what's going on before you. Uh, more than, and this is another reason I don't use any kind of notes other than just some verses I want to draw out, is because you really want to be looking at the people and their response. Uh, when you see you know, men walk away in disgust, you need to sort of pivot and you need to call them, you know, to repentance. Don't turn away from the Lord, right? This may be the last time the Lord pleads with you. You don't know, you know, how much longer you have. Uh, you want to, in some ways, without sort of badgering them and sort of, you know, and, and sort of needling them individually, but you do want to press the, the gospel where it doesn't become harassment, essentially, right? You want to walk that fine line there. Um, but you do want to plead with them, and they need to see that pleading, I think, uh, with them. Um, and, and when you're watching people around, right, you want to also pick up on maybe illustrations uh, that just organically happen. Um, you know, you see, you see men ogling a woman, right? There's a, there's a, there's a, taking a second glance at a woman, there's a way to bring in what the Lord has to say about those who lust after a woman have committed adultery in their hearts, right? You know, you want to prick them, but you do want to move to uh, the gospel offer uh, as, as soon as you can after that. So I don't have a ratio. Um, I do want to be sensitive to what I feel. Maybe that feels too mystical. I don't know. But uh, I do want to be sensitive towards what I'm sensing in the souls before me, right? If there's a lot of hardness, I do want to plow the law uh, to the point where the Lord may break up that fallow ground and get it ready to uh, plant in the seed of the gospel um, that comes after that. But I do never want to neglect preaching up Christ. Uh, sometimes the ground may require maybe some more time to get there, at least in my estimation. As far as time is concerned, um, I try to, you know, baseline 15, 20 minutes, eh, maybe. Uh, I've gone longer, like you have. 
uh, based on what I feel is going on around me. Sometimes the Lord will bring a whole new group of people, right? And you feel like, well, I know technically my 15, 20 minutes are up, but I feel like I need to, they need to have a hearing here uh, from the Lord. And so I will, I will, I will continue on. What we do as well is we also in the preaching, I do want to also remind them that we are servants of the Lord uh, to them. And so we also do offer prayer Bibles uh, so that you may hear from for yourself that the things that we are preaching are so. Um, and also uh, we do have a person who's always there ready to pray uh, with people. And so that they can understand that we are truly here to be servants of the Lord to them. Um, and so what we do is we then pray, our group prays after I preach that the Lord may um, bless the seeds that were sown. Uh, we sing a psalm. Um, which is really a wonderful witness in itself, right? To the world of, uh, uh, we are all psalm singers here. And so we see that they have a prophetic value as well. And they are the word of God. Um, and then then we start the cycle. I start the cycle again. I go and preach. And typically we're there about 90 minutes to two hours. So um, I've also got kind of two follow-up questions regarding, um, you know, street preaching. How much um, preparation do you put in beforehand? Like, obviously, you're not using notes so, and you're kind of, I mean, you mm. said use the word mystical, I'd say the leading of the spirit. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so how much preparation do you put into that? I'll let you answer that and I'll ask my second question. Yeah. So um, a lot of it is prayer. Um, I have in my Bible, I have a series of like 20 to 30 verses um, that uh, um, that I often, you know, use. Um if the Lord doesn't bring, you know, sort of a text to mind, I can peruse through. Um, and they're all sort of pointed gospel verses, whether it's Isaiah 45, Romans 3, Romans 6, um, uh, Romans 10, you know, all, all these kinds of verses that we go to. Um, and I sometimes have a few thoughts there, just sort of one or two, just sort of that can help sort of prime uh, the pump, so to speak, uh, in, in things to talk about and to consider. Um, and then, so from that, that's, that's most of my preparation is prayer. Um, just reminding myself of the word of God. Um, and then, um, and then praying for the area that we're going to, that the Lord would bring those who need to hear, uh, the gospel that he might bring his elect, um, out to hear. Uh, and, and that's most of it is, and the congregation prays, they know, uh, when we're doing these evangelistic events, uh, but prayer is really the primary area of preparation for something like this. It's spiritual war of the highest sort, really. Thank you for that. And then, uh, the last question I would have on, um, this topic would be what, uh, what would you say to a young man who says he wants to engage in, um, street preaching? Would we be as rigorous um, with the, the preaching on the street as we are with the preaching in the pulpit? Or would you say we have a little bit more flexibility when it comes to, you know, preaching in the public square? Yeah. So, you know, the I think the view that Presbyterians hold is that preaching belongs to the ministry, mm -hmm. right? Um, it's it's part of an office. It's not separated from it. Um, and in fact, it, I think it, to create two different species of preaching uh, is a very dangerous thing. Um, this has actually been one of the problems with street preaching, I think, and why people have a negative view of it is because those who are not called to be ministers are doing it. And so you have rabble rousers who are not physicians of the soul, right? Like we have had uh, a lot of training on how to not only rightly divide the word, but also that we are dealing with souls. And that's a, that's a very, very, uh, that's something we have to be careful 
about. And that's something that we are going to be responsible to the Lord of. We also have oversight. Our presbyteries are watching uh, our work, right? And, and there's accountability. And this is what Christ has ordained. And I think just to, first of all, let loose somebody um, is almost like giving a man a machine gun and saying fight in the military without any training whatsoever. It's irresponsible on our part, um, but it's also going to be dangerous to them and also those who hear uh, the man um, as well. And, and I know in America, of course, we, we tend to have a little bit looser things. Uh, but I think part of the problem, though, if I could go back to some of the original thoughts that we had on the ministry, is I don't think we can blame the sheep so much. They know something has to be done, and they're not seeing, frankly, us doing it. And they know that there needs to be a public proclamation. It's almost like, you know, why are there in, in other denominations women who are ministers, right? It's like, where are all the men, <laughs> right, who ought to be here preaching? Uh, and they take things that are not theirs to take. And I think sometimes our people feel that they have a burden for souls. And it's like, well, I guess I'll go because my, like, why is my pastor not doing it? Right. And so uh, I think we've in some ways, typically, like it's usually the, the, the ministry that has caused some of this problem. Um, and, and so I'll just leave it there, but that's, that's my perspective. Cool. Aaron, do you want to, do you want to just skip number four so we can be respectful of time? Yeah, I think it's fine. Mm -hmm. Cool. All righty, Ron. Well, we thank you for being on, but we do always end. This is another trademark of the Blue Banter podcast. It's fitting that Joshua Smith is on today. And the reason we're asking this question, starting with you, is this is the slot of men we're going to have C.J. Williams on in, uh, I don't know, a week or two or something like that. And he debated our New Testament professor on this very topic and myself and Joshua disagree on this. We're looking to solve the theological mystery of the identity of Melchizedek here in the next four episodes. <laughs> and so we want to know, was Melchizedek a type of Christ or was he in fact the pre-incarnate Christ? What does pastor Rom say? Oh, well, that's a, that's a good question. Um, uh, I would lean in the direction. I, I love, I love our Old Testament professor, but I, I did disagree with him on this. Uh, I do think that uh, Melchizedek was a type of Christ uh, rather than the pre-incarnate uh, Christ himself. Um, he has many of the characteristics of um, of Christ, but uh, saying that he had a, a pre-incarnate, well, before his incarnation, a body, right? Um, I think is is problematic uh, in in some ways, uh, and you know the, it doesn't require him to be Christ to point us to Christ. David is not required to be Christ in order to be an anointed one, um, and so I see Melchizedek as a type of Christ. Well, you're certainly correct, Josh. Do you have <laughs> you have any thoughts on this? Dude, you just opened up Pandora's box by asking that question. <laughs> I know. I probably shouldn't have with five minutes left. We probably should have just. <laughs> I, ju I just want to say that this is this is a topic that has been cordially disagreed upon by reformed men since the start of the Reformation. And so I, I do think that it is fine that we can take differing positions on it. What and they open the can of worms, and I'm just going to leave the can open while, when you guys close. Uh, the reformers were actually more unified on the identity of Michael than on Melchizedek. 
So I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Hey, John, thank you for that. <laughs> Aaron, I suppose we, should, we shouldn't we uh, should kick the hornet's nest anymore and take this thing any longer than we need to. So you can wrap us up. All right, let's, let's land the plane. Uh, Ron, thank you for um, giving us your time and, and your wisdom uh, this afternoon. And uh, we pray that this uh, podcast will be a blessing to all who hear it. Um, if you all wouldn't mind, rate and review us on iTunes or whatever podcast catcher you use. We actually got our first review on uh, iTunes. I'm going to read that for us today. I have no idea who did it because there's not, it's someone's name like Solo Deo Gloria, and that's very generic, but it's true. So I have no idea who you are, but this is what uh, what Anonymous said. Banter so excellent that Alexander Peden would raise a flag and salute. <laughs> I, I show that to my wife and she's like, who is Alexander Peden? I was like, honey, he's only the Batman of the Covenanters who went around <laughs> preaching with a mask on. So look up, look up Alexander Peden. Um, so yeah, rate and review us on iTunes, or whatever podcast catcher you use. If you like this episode, please share it on social media. Help us get the word out about the podcast. If you have questions that you would like us to ask your pastor or would like to recommend we interview your pastor, you can email us at bluebanterpodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, whether you eat, drink, or banter, do all to the glory of God. Bye.